Welcome to People of Hope, a conversation on finding joy in all things with the pastoral staff of Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Participating in our conversation is Maria Kressler, Executive Director of Ignatius House, and her husband, John Kressler, Professor at Georgia Tech. Our topic this evening is finding joy in marriage. My wife, Sarah, and I run a marriage prep program for our parish. And so this is a topic I love talking about, and I'm just really excited uh, for this conversation this evening. Uh, Maria's going to open us in prayer, and then John will offer some remarks, and then we will converse. Maria. Okay, thank you, Andy. And so let us pray. Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. Father, Jesus gave his life because he loved deeply and completely. May our love for one another be all-encompassing and all-consuming. Make our love be pleasurable. Make it be as creative as it is stable, as passionate as it is respectful, as gentle as it is strong, so that all who know us will see in our love the hand of you, our creator. We are blessed with children. May they thrive in the passionate and energizing love. May our love that has its beginning in the love you have for the world and all its peoples help us to serve your world and help us help you bring your kingdom here on earth. And we ask this through Jesus, our Lord and brother. Amen. 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 Hi, everybody. I'm John, and this is Maria, obviously. And uh, so the topic that we're going to talk about for a few minutes is finding joy in marriage. And I would first like to say, how could I not find joy in marriage? I'm married to a beautiful Italian woman, and I've spent my life with her. So that's a wonderful thing. Thank you. I thought I would first tell you a little bit about us. Uh, and then I'm going to speak about uh, how I find joy in marriage, and then uh, and then Mara, uh, Maria is going to amplify on some of that and weigh in. So we have known each other for a long, long time. We've been married 37 and a half years. Uh, we actually met in ninth grade of high school, and as I like to joke with Maria, Miss Crooks honors English class, fifth row, third day of class. In walks this girl. Uh, and uh, she was an Italian from uh, Connecticut, and I'd never met an Italian, and she sits right in front of me. So almost immediately, we became great friends. So friendship has been the root of our relationship. So we actually do not date for four more years. So, and please, uh, please don't ask Maria why that's the case. I've been beat up incessantly for all these years uh, over that choice. Uh, but we were best friends for four years of high school, our first date was uh, was graduation night of high school, and we haven't looked back since. So 37 and a half years of marriage. Uh, it's been a great ride for us, a great journey together. And as I was thinking about this topic, when Maria mentioned the theme, hey, how do we find joy in marriage? I was actually brought back uh, to 2013 when I was selected to do a commencement address at Georgia Tech. And I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of commencement addresses because they all kind of follow similar themes and I wanted to choose something very unique and different and so I chose to talk about the topic of love to 3,500 people 
which was kind of a, a fun and daring thing to do. And uh, I want to tell you what I came to in that. And I actually went back to the ancient Greeks. And you may or may not know this. I'll explain in a moment. But there's, the Greeks actually believed that there were four types of love that we can face in life. Philia, which is the love of friendship. Eros, which is romantic love, passionate love, the love of completion. Storgia, which is the sacrificial love we parents bestow upon our children. Sometimes those sacrifices can be large, as you know, if you have kids. And then agape, which is often associated with Christianity, this self-emptying love, where we take the love that we share into the world. In other words, we're turning outward into the world to do goodness. And in my usual bold way, I decided the Greeks didn't quite have it right. <laughs> and so I went to Ignatian spirituality, and I added a fifth form of love. And I called that uh, form of love bliss, B-L-I-S-S, -S, after uh, Joseph Campbell, the famous mythologist. Uh, and bliss, to me, as a form of love, is this vocational trajectory, a very Ignatian idea, that we are made and formed and discern a path for ourselves uh, to enter this world and make a difference. Uh, and when you're in that groove, that vocational groove, nurtured by your spouse, um, that is absolutely, in my experience, a form of love. So when I come back to those five forms of love, what do I find joyful in my marriage? I think the fact that our 37 and a half years married has touched all of those five forms of loves repeatedly in this interwoven thread of ways that have uh, been beautiful to behold and be beautiful to be a part of. But in the last decade or so, uh, it actually has deepened in new ways for me. Uh, and that's the spiritual connection that kind of wraps around all of that. And uh, I have actually, I'm a part-time novelist, and I it's, the, the constant theme uh, in my novels actually is this notion of great love, this spiritual love which transcends the normal everyday love that we often encounter. In psychological circles these days, that's often referred to as unitive love or conscious love. I call it great love in my fiction. But the idea is that, uh, that we as a couple are more the, than the individuals that we are. And I actually, a couple of years ago, defined great love as it, what it means to me. And I want to read that to you. And then I'm going to turn it over to Maria. <laughs> <laughs> so great love um, conscious love, unitive love, becomes possible when the creator's point of pure light and truth residing within each partner resonates, and their love for each other grows unbounded through transforming grace as each freely give themselves to their beloved and become one flesh. Each is extinguished in their separateness, and they join with the other in oneness, producing a single transformed heart in union with the creator. This is conscious love the human embodiment of divine love. This new state of transformed being allows the creator, the perfection of love, to flow without limit into the now conjoined beloved, so that when their earthly life ends, their conscious love can be absorbed back into the, the creator's divine dance to endure for all eternity. That spiritual depth and dimension to our 37 and a half years is rich and profound and front and center for me. Uh, it's a very Ignatian journey, I think, for the two of us, uh, and uh, is uh, is a pretty awesome thing, actually. For me. So I'm going to stop and let you talk. 
And yet I can say, how does one follow that <laughs> with some of the, the beautiful ways in which John has with words as he shares what the great love is. And, and to me, um, it's the experience of it. It's knowing what he just described in me and experiencing it. And that comes in this sense of unconditional acceptance. Um, and the, that my I am a better Maria because of John's love for me. And I believe John is the, a better John who God created John to be in this unitive love. Um, it doesn't mean that it's simple and easy and what we normally call joyful, we think of always being happy. We use that word joy often to think of just delight and happiness and laughter when when really often that's much deeper than that. There's something very, very deep in the joy that comes when when that's where God resides. And so sometimes it's not always fun, but there's something much deeper about who we are becoming in that love when we are um, accepting each other with with all of and who we are. And that's been a bedrock for us. It's, it has, yeah. going back to that. And I think what I love about the, the different ways that he he kind of broke out the the um, with the four ways of love, the four definitions into a fifth one. But I think what, what all love is, is giving. That we find the joy in marriage and in love in the giving, the giving of oneself. And and it's not the extinguishing of who we are. It's the, it's the creation of a new thing. There is, as I have often said, there's this Maria, there is this John, and then there's this, this couple, Maria John, or John Maria, or however you want to want to call that. But it's it's in the it's in the um, it really is in the giving that when when the other is experiencing something, I experience it too. When when John is hurting and there's something that's really difficult for him, I carry that pain deeply with him. And likewise, when he is filled with joy or something is joyful. And I think our, our daughter once talked about it, Christina, in, in, a, in a more amusing way, in that, that John had told the kids, you know, when he had left to go on a business trip, that if they had upset me, that they'd hear from him later. <laughs> and and Christina would comment that it always was interesting to her that 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 was one way that John demonstrated the depth of his of his love and commitment to me. She told us as much later in life, but that that it had to do that when one of us was hurting, the other one was hurting more, and that that we carried each other's pain as well as each other's joys. So um, it's one of my first uh, my first bounce off points. Um, yeah. Thank you, Thank you. for that um, beautiful um, reflection. I've heard I've heard some of that in our marriage prep program that um, I mentioned that uh, that we lead, and you've been a witness couple for. There are a couple things you mentioned that I think struck me. Um, first is just the value of friendship in marriage, and Sarah and I have talked a lot about that. Um, just how we like hanging out with each other and there's just great joy in that um it you know it doesn't feel like an obligation or a chore you know um or at least if it does then you know you should talk about that but i just find i just find that um being being one another's friends not in this um kind of um, movie romantic kind of way you know you're my best friend but 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 truly being that confidant and being that number one fan for one another to build the other up and you know you mentioned uh that you become a better maria and john um you help each other become the best people that you can be um and 
I truly believe that. I mean, Sarah helps me become more Andy, more my true self of who God made me to be and continues to encourage me on that path. Um, the other thing that, that you mentioned, I, I find it interesting that you use the word bliss for this fifth kind of love, because I feel like that's a word that the society tends to, you know, we talk about marital bliss, um, the sort of euphoria, especially in the first year of marriage. And for Sarah and me, our first year of marriage was tough. We hadn't lived yeah. together before. We were figuring each other out. And it, it was very difficult uh, just trying to navigate not only living together, but different communication styles, different uh, family patterns and histories and so on. Um, and everyone asked us, you know, how is marital bliss? Uh, it was hard. And when we were honest, people were, were worried, you know, and they said, if you think now is tough, just wait, which <laughs> sort of disappointed me because... Um, you know, we've been married six years now, nearly six years, and marriage has gotten better. I mean, it just, it gets better and better. So what are your thoughts so, on so, that? Just, Andy, to, to explain that, that term a little bit better. So Joseph Campbell is a famous mythologist, uh, and uh, he talked about bliss in the sense that he believed, as do I, actually, it's an Ignatian concept, that, uh, that each of us has an intended path that we're meant to discern and, and, and go. And his point was, when you discern that path and you're in uh, the groove that you're meant to be in, that it's a, an inner joy becomes transcendent and radiant uh, in living the life that you're meant to live, right? And so I think that that's kind of what he meant by that and why I chose that term. He's got some really nice quotations to that effect, but I think uh, particularly when I work with young people, it's, uh, it's often helping them discern the path that they're intended to be upon where they find their bliss and their joy and fulfillment, actually. And I think all of us kind of seek that out. And I think from a, a couple perspective, uh, there's many times when Maria has encouraged or even sometimes pushed me in directions which were along the curve, if you would, of, of the path I was meant to take and one I might not have taken if she hadn't been a part of my life, actually. So it's not bliss in the sense of its common usage of just sheer joy, right? It's actually this deep resonance, if you would, with the universe in uh, in the way God wants to use you in that universe, right? That's kind of what you meant by that. Yeah. I mean, in our marriage prep, we talk a lot about the marriage as a vocation of service uh, and yeah. that it um, there's an outward sort of mission orientation to it. And, you know, in the, the way that you're describing it, um, you know, when I was discerning a teaching job, you know, I said to Sarah, I, I don't think that's for me. I don't think I have the gifts. And, you know, Sarah said, I think you should reconsider, you know, and and I did. She she kind of uncovered a gift or uncovered something about my vocational trajectory um, that I didn't see myself. Right. Um, she the marriage really holds holds up a mirror to you. Um, even Pope Francis talks about this. Um, yeah you know, the, the value, the importance of a couple finding a, uh, a, a long, a lifelong lasting project together. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've heard uh, Maria say many times, which I always find amusing, but is absolutely true. She'll say to me when we're having some conversations, she goes, you know, I know you better than you know you. 
you need to go this way. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay. Well, yeah. there is a, a, a truth in that. I, I, Andy, I just want to applaud the honesty of, of your sharing that first year because I think part of the problem that many people, when they come into marriage, they have these ideals and these expectations. There's some kind of picture somewhere that's been painted <laughs> that has it's supposed to be a certain way. And, and the first thing that we should know is that we are all so different <laughs> and every relationship is so different. And as we're created that way, that's the beauty of each of us being who we are created in God's image and likeness. And, and the joy that we find in a partner who can reflect it back to us, or just like you just were both saying, um, kind of see us in, in ways that we didn't see ourselves. And I would argue that even in the position I am now, when I think back at, at, at applying to be um, to be the executive director at Ignatius House, when that process was happening, you know, it was really one of like, well, what do you think? Like, tell, tell me, husband, like, do you see this for me? Like, how do you see me in that role? That was your biggest chance. And how do and, you know, and what is that? What does that mean? There's a there's something that this is what I think I mean when I say to people that that being married and and certainly in love with my best friend and the man who knows me like no other is the closest thing i can come to on earth of knowing that love of god that there's that kind of like that we know that that relationship is the most intimate of our lives my relationship with god and i often marvel at we can lay in bed at night and and say our good night and lay there and still the one who knows me like no other is within me it's not the man right next to me. There is still there is still this other, and so this is the closest thing I know on this on the face of this earth. And because of this great love gift, great things are expected of us in back into building this kingdom. So that's um, yeah. where that came for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever encounter? Um, and I'm sure you do. And I think it's something that really. It, it sticks with me. It bothers me. Uh, the stereotypes of marriage as a ball and chain or, you know, some sort of enslavement or in, imprisonment or something like that. Right. Um, what do you say to that? Because I, I've I've heard folks who are deeply religious people um, talk about marriage in that sense where it's almost this void of joy where you're just, um, you know, serving the other to your own discontent. Yeah, I've always, I think we both agree that, you know, when I talk to people who are in relationship, I always probe to try to assess whether they are becoming better people individually as a result of that relationship. And I think, uh, I think this, I, I mean, like you, I, the, the notion of marriage as a chore just doesn't even compute to my mindset. And we've been married, you know, a lot longer than you guys have. And yeah, each day has been a, a blessing and gift. I don't, uh, and I think I, I chalked it up to our friendship. We like each other, and uh, and I think there's a there's a sharing of our life's responsibilities and the way that we go about who we are. That uh, yeah, it's chore is not even a part of my vocabulary it, it's, when I think of that. I had I used to have the same reaction to the idea that you have to work at it. But then I have a different, I have, I've kind of come, come from that place where I didn't feel like it was work or a chore to have to love John. At the same time, the reality is when I took my vow, I, I made a commitment to love. I, it was an action, whether I felt like it or not. And I've always, I always like to put that in there because the commitment is some days and sometimes life, it just really 
use the word I'm gonna where it sucks and so you end up with that and there are moments when you just don't feel it but the commitment and that's where I think this is where I think the the Paschal mystery and this God that we know the the, the perseverance in loving through and that and usually that doesn't mean that that person is what's blocking me so much as it's my own self it's my own blocks to that but I don't ever look at it as um you know like there's a that's a, a ball and chain or like it's something that I got stuck in and now I, I'm stuck for life because of whatever. That's not the kind of commitment that I think marriage is about. But I do think that there is a uh, a decision that we make kind of like when I think I choose Christ and I make those decisions to follow Jesus. That that choice to do that was very similar in that. And I'm choosing in this vocation to love. I'm choosing to do this. And when you do it from a place of joy. And, and I guess that's the other thing. Um, you can get through it. You can get through get through most things <laughs> together. Mm-hmm. And you can laugh. And laughing is laughing is important. <laughs> you know, that I a uh, couple months ago, a few months ago, I uh, I gave a talk to some young adults uh, here in Atlanta about dating uh, dating as a Catholic and. Um, you know, they said, what are the, the secret, what, you know, in the marriage work you did and the couples you've talked to and so on, what is the secret to a long marriage that you've gleaned from these conversations with other couples? And I was quick to say communication and humor. Um, most of our witness couples, if not all of them, have talked about the value of humor um, yeah. and, and that lightness that keeps them together. And I think there's a humility when there's humor, you know, if you can laugh with your beloved, um, yeah. all will be well. I think that is absolutely essential in surviving childhood with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> there are some things kids do which are just pretty absurd, right? Yeah. And they'll drive you nuts, right? And uh, yeah, sometimes you just got to step back and laugh at the lunacy of it all. Yeah, but, and I think in all through that age, because I know that I know that the two of you have got them very young. And so there's an exhaustion to the kind of attention and loving. And then and then you as you raise them and then you and then they exhaust you in an entirely different way, in a new yeah. way. Yeah. And so it's, I always want to tell couple, you get through this one, but there's just yet another. But I but I think in those times I like and I know we did to remember that what began was first you as the couple. The children came as a as a result of the love that you had, and the children will go on and form their own, and you will still be there. And so the strength of what you give to each other, and and the holding on to each other during these times, when you're when you're giving to the other one, you take the day, um, you need the break, I'll take the day. With all that giving back back and forth. Likewise, as we get to the harder times, it's like being there to 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 kind of. You know, I remember nights when the kids were teenagers laying in bed at night and just like holding his hand and just going, oh, dear God, let's just please, please let us get through. Right. So we're, we're here to tell you that there is life on the other side. There's always so, good uh, life. You, people joke about the emptiness problem. It's like we absolutely partied and celebrated when our kids <laughs> left. Right? And we still, uh, I, I do always joke, joke with Sarah about how I look forward to retirement. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Did you ever, you know, you talked about oneness, and I think um, certainly when society talks about marriage, you know, uh, and even religion talks about it, one flesh, right? And there is this unitive nature to marriage. Um, 
But I think some fear, and I know this had come up between Sarah and me at the beginning of our relationship, of a fear of losing one one's own identity. Um, did that ever come up for the two of you? Probably more for me than you, I would say. When you talk about when I say losing identity, um, more like more like in the early years, I would say I. I I actually learned through through other young people and my own children, but on my own self, because I had a very traditional view. I, I came in, I grew up in an Italian Catholic home. My mother, you know, got married and became a homemaker and took care of the family, right? And dad went to work, right? So that that role, and I was coming up of the generation where that started to change. Went to college, you get, my mother had a college education and degree. It was actually interesting, Andy, when my mother passed away, we found letters, at, when both parents did, and we found some letters of my mom's and I remember her thinking that she, like my mom was a teacher and she was kind of starting off and I, I think she was actually surprised by the proposal of my father but didn't know how not to accept it because I think she had a desire to actually do more, right? And I think at the beginning I was, I was really, really knew, we really knew we wanted to be married and I thought, this is where I think I changed, I thought all I, that, that motherhood and, and raising children was all I wanted. But but early on, I started to recognize that wasn't exactly that. And I was beginning to feel a little bit like, though I couldn't even articulate it well, because I thought to do so would have been somehow to say I was not a good mother or not wanting to be in that role. So it was kind of an emerging thing. I don't think it was, I don't even think I really, really started talking to you about it until I got involved in ministry and I started to find other things that kind of grew from it. But at the beginning, there was a little bit about, well, who am I? Like, am I just mother? Am I because I started getting defined by the roles that I was playing rather than what was actually happening inside me. But um, and that kind of has emerged over over time, you know. But again, somebody started reflecting something back and, and, and allowing me to when I started taking some courses and when some things were happening, the encouragement of, you know, stepping out. And never once when I started to think about something different than just being in the house that I ever feel anything more than. Go for it. You know, this is who you are. So, yeah. So our uh, our friend and colleague, Karen Thomas, commented, and she said she heard you use the phrase uh, uh, living joy. Um, you know, and here we're talking about finding joy. And she says living is where it's at, and you two are a great model. <laughs> You're kind, Karen. Yeah. We love we you. We love you, Karen. Yeah. It is. Uh, I have to say too that I had good. I had models of joy in my life and models of that kind of of love, and I always desired it, and I prayed for it. We pray for it. I think that was the other thing. It was really a desire of the heart, but conscious, unitive. Do you do you have any advice for for married couples who? Who might be struggling, um, you know, especially during this time of, of isolation, where you know there's talks about oh the divorce rate's going to go up and and so on. Uh, but then on the other hand, there are folks talking about that this is a real opportunity to enrich marriages because you're spending a lot of time together. So you can kind of go both ways, certainly. And I certainly feel much more enriched in my marriage. Um, but any anything that you might say to, to couples who might who might be struggling and, and kind of wondering where they're going to come, you know, out of this. One of the, the words that keeps coming into my mind is patience, that sometimes it's our impatience of wanting things to be a certain way 
And so somewhere in that, and the other is just communication. I think that I think more people start to go into their own corners and start to dig into their own spaces and not openly, you know, take the risk of sharing their heart, sharing, you know, I, I hear that a lot from people, even in spiritual direction of what they would feel open to share with me in direction. And I'll ask them, can you share that with your spouse? And there would be a little bit of, I'm afraid to share that. Well, what are you afraid of? Well, you know, there is a risk involved in sharing. So if you're if you're struggling, if, if it's like too much space or or, maybe, or not enough space, I would imagine in the pandemic, it's like suddenly, and there's been a little bit of fun with that. Like, you know, the beginning, it was like, oh, let's have lunch every day together. We were doing all this stuff. And then finally, it was like, yeah, you do your thing. I got to do my thing. We got to keep moving because trying to be the perfect, let's do this together might not be what we need. We're clearly further along in marriage where we can say, I don't mind taking the risk, but I would argue that that's the scariest and the hardest thing. Well, that, yeah, I mean, anytime we choose uh, to willfully to be vulnerable to someone we care deeply about, uh, I think in our experience, that level of vulnerability is a glue which absolutely binds. But you have to. It doesn't make it easy, yeah. right, to get there. But I think, uh, and that, you know, because vulnerability comes to, you know, a level of communication and the presence of safety and care and concern, right? But it's, uh, yeah, there are some great marriage encounter tactics or strategies. And I think it's funny because I want to say that for what it's worth. John and I were married only three years when we made a marriage encounter. And, and I always felt like that experience gave us tools to communicate. So one of it was to write things down. Like, how do I, if I'm feeling something, to write love letters and do it within the form of first always speaking of what endears me. And I would say that'd be the first thing. What about this person that you are now in a marriage with endears you to them? You know, what would you miss most about like find the things that you that you love about them because and let that kind of grow again, because otherwise the other stuff could, could just kind of like dampen it. A marriage encounter gave us the opportunity and many a time we would say, you know, it would be easier for us to write it and then each other read it yeah, so, and then come back together. And so talk the model about there, that. if you're not familiar with is you, you, you have a topic, you each write to the other person, then you exchange those letters and you read the other person's. And then you have dialogue afterwards. And, and the focus is on feelings. The feelings, yes. not on the other person or any sort That's of attack. Yeah. And, yeah. and then the other wonderful words. She still pulls that on me from time to time. Either right nor wrong. wrong. <laughs> and it's an old adage, but it's a good adage because yeah. if I'm feeling a certain way, and he goes, well, you shouldn't feel that way. And I'm like, but I feel that way. And it's not dismissing that. So I guess if I, that would be some of the things that, that have worked for us, and they were tools that we learned really early on. Yeah in our marriage that have really lasted, if you will, um, for a long time. And we, we, uh, when we celebrated five years last year, we did a marriage encounter retreat and that was very helpful too. Um, and we, you know, we use feelings language anyway, and that's very helpful for, you know, for just for, for communication. The other yeah, uh, yeah. tool that I thought of that a lot of our, our witness couples mentioned to these young engaged couples going through our marriage prep is, um, marriage counseling, just the value of that, even for maintenance. Um, yeah. You know, these couples that, you know, don't, don't think, don't put the stigma on it. it. It's yeah. Yeah. Well, that's about, that's true about everything. We should, I mean, we, I we hope we've hit a point where therapy, seeing a counselor, having a met is always a good thing now. I mean, we used to have a lot of stigma to it, right? But now it's like, sometimes you just need to talk to that other party that doesn't have a vested interest, like they're not, they're not there to allow you to um, share and I think talk a couple honestly. of other tools that come to my mind and that has been useful to us is 
this notion of love languages and understanding your love languages of your spouse so that where they're coming from, which is going to be different, likely from where you are. And the same thing would be the uh, the Enneagram, right, where you're getting to know your own personality types as a couple and what kinds of drives and motivates you uh, in ways that may seem opaque to the other person if they are not in that uh, in that zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all just self-knowledge and couple knowledge. And yeah, on that yeah. path, you have God knowledge with that yeah, third party. Absolutely. Isn't that great? Involved. Yeah. <laughs> Because it all leads there. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I don't know, Maria and John, if you have any uh, any closing thoughts, but you know, Sarah and I um, always tell our couples that we we are a big fan of marriage and um, we recommend it. <laughs> and uh, it it really is a wonderful journey and a lifelong journey. That you're right involves work. It involves work. Um, but you know, let me read a, a quote from from Pope Francis, and I think he speaks to the truth of both the both society and the church when he says, "We find it difficult to present marriage uh, more as a dynamic path to personal development and fulfillment than as a lifelong burden." Wow. Well, that's at the core of what we believe. Actually, mm-hmm. we help each other grow, right? That's, yeah, yeah. And, and that's that call to holiness. It's, yeah. it's what makes us yeah. holiness and holiness. <laughs> Both, right? Well, we love talking about it too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you uh, both Maria and John. Um, And thanks to all of you again for joining us this evening. Um, Next week, we will have Father Joe Lingen and Sister Susan Arcaro joining me to chat about finding joy in religious life. Please keep connected to all our upcoming offerings, uh, which are virtual and in person beginning in June. Um, Just go to ignatiushouse.org and also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Be well, friends, and have a good night. Thanks for listening. Learn more about Ignatius House by visiting us at ignatiushouse.org or following us on social media. And be sure to subscribe to this wherever you listen to podcasts. May the blessing of God be with you always.